Hello and welcome to Slightly Drunk and Extremely Online, Episode 5. I'm Colin Scholes. I am here with AK and Carl Vernon. And today we're going to be talking about the Facebook people you may know algorithm. People it suggests to you that you may want to be friends with. We'll kick it off. I am drinking a 25-ounce can of Bud Ice Premium, quote-unquote the big one. <laughs> That's what it says on the can. It's an American lager. I'm not sure there's a whole lot else to say about it other than that. I'm Again, I'm still working my way through the cooler of death at my local bodega, so this is tonight's choice. AK, what do you got? I am drinking a hot toddy, and it is the third placebo I've taken today to try to uh, stave off a cold. I hope this one works. Carl, what about you? I'm enjoying a steam whistle. It's a nice Canadian pilsner. Great. So we'll dive right in. A set of articles that we're focusing on for this pod are written by a reporter named Kashmir Hill, who's worked at the Gizmodo Media Group and has covered the issue of the Facebook people you may know algorithm pretty closely over the last year or two. Over the last two months or so, she's written a lot about the data that Facebook collects about you and these shadow profiles that are compiled of data that don't come from you, that Facebook doesn't collect directly from you, but it collects from people you may know. To put some of this to the test, I took a look through the people you may know recommendations today. I also used a trick that she talks about on her Twitter account to find out how many of my friends have uploaded their contact list, their phone contact list to Facebook. So of my 315 friends, 139 of them had uploaded their contact list to Facebook, meaning that everyone who's in their phone, 139 of those people shared their contacts, meaning my phone number's probably in there and contacts of everybody they know are in there. I also looked through the suggestions of people that I may know. And some of them definitely came from my contact list. They were people that I may have known years ago or business associates or people who had my cell phone number that I may have associated with Facebook at one point in time. Even though when, when you first sign up to Facebook, it asks you for a cell phone number. I didn't do that initially years ago, but over time, it may say if you get locked out of your Facebook account, oh, hey, we need your cell phone number to verify. So there's a lot of ways that Facebook uses to get your cell phone number. So these are people who may have used my cell phone number. And there were over a dozen out of the... 40 or so suggested people who I had no idea who they were. We didn't have mutual friends. There was no real explanation. And I found some that were through apps that use Facebook as a login, which I found an interesting little quirk that I hadn't read about before. So I use an app called Vivino, for instance, which is an app that I use to track wine that I drink. And it has a social element. So you use Facebook to log in, you can share to your Facebook contacts, you can get Facebook contacts imported into your app so you can see what your friends are drinking if you request and they approve you to be on their contact list in this, in this wine app. And one of the guys from the wine app was a suggested person. So again, Facebook was pulling data that I had allowed it to use or I, had, I hadn't even allowed it to use that data. I just said, I want... Vivino required my Facebook login and I said yes. So, and one of them was from Gmail, which is interesting because my Gmail account isn't tied to my Facebook account, but hey, whatever. So that was in there as well. So I'm going to throw it to Carl. So Carl, you're far more paranoid than I am. And you've definitely had your experiences with Facebook privacy. And why don't you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. So um, historically, I've made some some not so great choices on the internet and you know, answered some Craigslist ads. Maybe I shouldn't have answered. <laughs> Answered some some Kijiji posts that were maybe questionable. It's interesting because there's the illusion of anonymity. So you think I'm going to send this email off. It's an exchange. It's a one-off. That's it. I never have to converse to this person again. 
but then a couple of days later, they might show up on your on your Facebook. So my default settings on Facebook are everything's pretty private. Everything's fairly locked down. I don't share my email. I don't upload my contacts on my phone. I don't upload anything like that. Like What it comes down to, though, is it doesn't really matter what you do. It matters everybody else who has your contact information. Yeah. So I end up getting messages or added by, uh, you know, people who I thought I'd left in my past. <laughs> have shown up a number of times and it's it's not always it's sort of jarring sometimes to see that picture show up on your uh, on your Facebook feed. It's interesting that they don't really get the hint if you hide a person they might show up again, their friends, their family all show up. Many people have reported stories about it, but uh AK we'll we'll kick it to you before we get into that too much. So I haven't had anything that really disquieted me on Facebook that I can recall, but my policy since the beginning of the internet was just no one wants to know about the really weird stuff I do. So it's a little, I mean, I've also kept a paper journal since I was 14, where I put all of my deepest, darkest thoughts. I never locked it. I just assumed if someone picks this up and they can read my handwriting, they're going to be deeply traumatized and put it back down. So the weirdness is a deterrent. I feel your, I mean, I can't help but be weird. And if I am my weird self, then the only problem is, of course, Facebook now has my family members. For a long time, my mom refused to join Facebook because she has the classic Eastern European approach of I'm not telling you anything. Like we'd go somewhere on vacation. I still remember we were staying at an B&B and the person running the B&B is just trying to be friendly and say, oh, well, where are you from? And what do you do? And my mom just kind of stares. And then later she's like, how rude. That is none of their business. They don't need to have my personal information. And <laughs> People making small talk. Yeah. Yes. So that gives you an idea. But finally, she relented for the grandchildren. Not mine, but my brother's. Uh, yes. and, uh, That's usually how it works. So that has gotten weird. Uh, you pointed out earlier, I, I recently posted a poem that's about sex. And I was like, hmm, my mom's going to read this. And then I thought, well, actually, I gave my mom a copy of this book already. So fine. So basically, my policy has just been, okay, horny on Maine forever, because I can't, I can't hide who I am. And of course, there's things I would prefer to stay private. So I maybe just don't mention them. If there's things I truly want to be private, I never say them out loud. That's it. That's the only way. I spoke to a friend of mine about who just had children as well. And I asked him, I said, I, you know, I don't see pictures of any of your kids on Facebook. And he said, yeah, we didn't want to post those something that was so private on Facebook because each of us has hundreds and hundreds or thousands of friends. So they created a private WhatsApp group with their friends and family members. So his brother, their parents, his in-laws are all in this WhatsApp group. And that's where they post the baby pictures. But the funny thing about that, of course, is that Facebook owns WhatsApp. And while they claim that they don't share data, that they don't use the WhatsApp data, because WhatsApp has your phone number. When you're on WhatsApp, your phone number has to be attached to your account, right? Can you maybe explain so, what WhatsApp is? Because I'm not sure that everyone's going to know what that is. Yeah. So WhatsApp is a two-way messaging app or a group messaging app that Facebook recently purchased. Carl, you may know even a little bit more about the history of it than I do because you're in Canada and it was used more widely there. That's where I first started using it. Yeah, I guess the the main the main pluses to using WhatsApp are, again, anonymity or you don't have to use your text. You can send um, pictures, videos, uh, all, all sorts of uh, cool content between friends for free using your data plan. But yeah. Well, you, you and I used to use 
BlackBerry Messenger. So I guess you never made the transition when... No, after BBM, I was kind of... That, that was it for me. A part <laughs> of me died that day. Yeah. <laughs> Carl and I are old BlackBerry uh, nostalgians or whatever the word is for it. Can't beat that but, So what? Yeah. So, so WhatsApp was really popular in Europe and North America to a degree, but I think more so internationally because it allowed people to message over data without... SMS, but it was tied to your phone number, unlike a BlackBerry Messenger, which was tied to your device and anonymized. So Facebook purchased WhatsApp for an extreme amount of money, and they did it for the user base. But WhatsApp is tied to your phone number. Now, they have given the creators of WhatsApp a fair amount of autonomy, and WhatsApp is two-way encrypted now. But at the same time, they recently did say that they were taking some of the WhatsApp user data and bringing it into the Facebook ecosystem. So, and here's here's the crux of the problem. We don't know what Facebook's doing with that WhatsApp information. We have been told that it's 2A encrypted, but we don't actually really know what they're doing about it. And there's no real way to get any insight into that because, of course, Facebook says that it's all trade secrets. But anyhow, getting back to what I was saying, so my friends decided we don't want to post it on Facebook. We want to post it on WhatsApp. But WhatsApp is owned by Facebook. And therein lies the problem, lies the issue here is that all this stuff's sort of happening behind the scenes. And it's all algorithmically. And we don't have any explanations from Facebook on why or how. There are some articles written by Ms. Hill that talk about anecdotal, strange situations or potentially systemic problems like, for instance, sex workers being outed to their clients and vice versa, um, people who use prostitutes or sexual services being outed to the people who they're hiring to these things. There's been a long history of problems and semi or large scale scandals surrounding this. And Facebook has always said, well, we're making changes or they don't really seem to know. And this brings up the greater question that we've been trying to address in the last couple of podcasts, algorithms. This stuff is all being run by algorithms. And it's it's data being fed into machine learning algorithms. We don't know how they work, right? Because there's trade secrets. Anytime that regulator, regulatory body, Europe, for instance, has much more strict privacy laws about this stuff. Anytime anybody goes in and says, hey, why is this happening? Facebook says, oh, we can't tell you. It's, It's privacy. They say that there are 100 data points that they examine to attempt to show you people who you may know but they only give an example of five on their help website. So that's a problem. That's a big problem. How is it a problem though? I mean, would you expect them to list the exact way that they do it for anyone to go and replicate it? I don't think it's necessarily an issue or, or a problem. I think we can expect that a private company is going to have you know, their own formulas and their own mathematics or, or, or algorithms to, to make these connections. As sure. long as they're not intentionally doing anything devious with it. So uh, I don't how can we know a- that they're not doing? Okay, so first of all, if we don't know what they're doing and no government regulatory body really knows what they're doing, which is the impression I'm under, how can we know what exactly they're doing? And second of all, I don't think you need to be intentionally devious to do great harm when you have such a far reach as they do. Basically, you know, it's that Spider-Man thing. It is Spider-Man, I think. Great power, great responsibility, <laughs> right? So, um, yes. and it's funny because... Okay, here I'm going to go on a little rant. Facebook is all about, you know, we want you to meld out your identities. We want your friends, you know, from golf and your friends from World of Warcraft to get to know each other. You don't need to keep separate personas. It's all about the context collapse. It's great. No, transparency will rid us all of shame. And that might work for some people. 
kind of works for me. I don't think it works for everybody. But yet, when it comes to their own processes, they're anything but transparent. They want us to be transparent for them, but they are not transparent to us. And Carl, I'll give a couple examples because it is talked about in, in the reporter's writing. So one of the examples used in this reporter's work is a psychiatrist had her patients start showing up in her suggested friends, which is problematic because obviously there's a doctor-patient privilege and she did not directly exchange her cell phone number or any information with these people other than perhaps an email address. So again, this is unusually invasive because the problem of her Xing out of saying, I don't want to be friends with my patients. It's the problem that now they've seen her profile and now they might glean more information. So if she doesn't have her profile fully private, which a lot of people don't, a lot of people don't go in and change their privacy settings. Now you can see your psychiatrist. You can see pictures of her with her husband or her on vacation. So I think there's an additional issue there, which is that her patients were getting recommended to each other. So it was outing their privacy as people who've been to a psychologist or psychiatrist. And it's her professional duty to protect their privacy. And so by being on Facebook and having her patients cross promoted to each other could be interpreted by her professional body as being a dereliction of her duty. Again, as as like a from a tech point of view, it's very unlikely that the two the two patients would have any sort of common data point that wasn't her. So if her email somehow is online, Facebook would have to have access to that to make that connection. And this is where it turns into an issue of do you have the right to be on Facebook? If you are I have friends who are teachers. I have friends who who have to get off of Facebook because they know that they they can't be on there. They can't have their students seeing them doing what we get up to on the weekends. It would be unprofessional. So do you have the right to be on there? It's not your your right to be on Facebook and have a profile. If you were, you're working in a certain field where privacy is is an important issue, then maybe you should reconsider your online presence. Maybe you have a responsibility to, to have some discretion on your online dealings. I think this is unloading what should be Facebook's responsibility onto individuals. To me, this is a little bit like, well, if you don't like getting strip search going through the airport, then you just don't have to fly anywhere. And I think for a lot of people, Facebook Facebook is so huge and it's become such a way to stay connected with people that to ask people to completely give that up. I feel like Facebook can either be broken up as a monopoly or be regulated. Those are kind of the choices at this point, because it's just too big. Okay, what I'm arguing in short is I think Facebook has become utility. And yes, in fact, people do have a right to be on Facebook. Facebook offers an option for some people to opt out of appearing in that suggested friends list, but it's only celebrities and people with large followings. So they have an extra security feature. So Facebook is aware that this is a problem to the point where they created an additional security feature for people with large followings and celebrities to say that they don't want to be friended by anybody beyond friends of friends or really anyone at all, like that they want to choose who can and cannot add them as friends. They're aware of this problem. The note that I wrote down when reading about this was marketing and sales or tech, who's driving the bus at Facebook? And I think the answer currently is always marketing and sales. It's one of the heads of some department at Facebook made a public comment and he said, people with more friends use Facebook more. Their 
business goal is to get you to add as many friends, to have as many people, and to build these shadow profiles for everyone you know. A shadow profile, to be clear, is information not provided by you to Facebook that Facebook has nevertheless connected to you through people you know, through your behaviors, or through data that they purchase through third-party data vendors or share with third-party data vendors. That would be like an Experian, Equifax, to bring up a company that is um, having some issues with privacy at the moment. It's in Facebook's distinct business interest to get you to be friends with more people on Facebook. So they're not motivated to fix this problem, which they are aware of, and they have put some blockers in already for people of stature. So I want to add something about these shadow profiles. While Facebook has them on you and it's built this profile of you about you from what other information other people and other companies have given, you can't see your own secret shadow profile. You don't have a right to it. And if you ask Facebook for it, they'll argue that because this information comes from other people in order to protect the privacy of these other people, they can't show it to you. And I can see that point, but it's still deeply problematic uh, to me. It feels a little bit like having an FBI file, but at least an FBI file becomes declassified after a while. Or like um, the East German Stasi who had profiles on almost everyone. And then after the Berlin Wall fell, you could go and look yourself up and be like, oh, so this is what they were thinking about me. But with Facebook, it's unlikely that we'll ever be able to look ourselves up. I mean, if Facebook collapses, I assume that that data will just become like nuclear waste and be out there forever. (laughs) Someone will buy it. (laughs) <laughs> There's still a very serious uh, a security issue, a privacy issue there. If, if I have, if I'm with a sex worker and they have my emails, and then they decide to sync their their contacts to Facebook, and then somewhere down the line, Facebook decides to release this, so I can see the names of every sex worker I've ever come, come into contact with and find them and, and do whatever I feel is necessary. Now that I have their personal information, that's not good. an extra tip Um, (laughs) PayPal but the point is like you can't uh, the the information that they're gathering from everybody else they really can't share that they can't say here here's everyone who's got your phone number here's everyone who's ever you know sent an email with your your email in it here's everyone who's ever visited your profile that's a a very serious invasion of, of that person's privacy there's a, there's a little bit of demonizing going on in this. I think Facebook, to some extent, there's only so much that they can reveal without it being completely embarrassing for every, or, or outing for, of, of everyone else who's using the service. I think it brings up what might be an, a reasonable compromise in all of this, which is that if Facebook were to simply give people the ability to... To a lesser extent, you can do that. Uh, There is something where you can see what your targeted ad interests are, and it even lets you delete them. So if you're like, oh, yeah, I used to be into yaks, but now I'm into llamas, just please don't show me any more yak stuff. Um, So actually, I think if they did something like that, I would be a lot more comfortable with it. They don't have to tell me where the data came from. I'm thinking of something like when you get your Equifax profile or whatever, when you check your your credit score, right? You get your credit report, and you can go through and say, "Uh, actually, I never lived in that house. That's not me. That's my cousin. You misspelled my name here. And you just go back and correct it. And they would win because they would get better data and you'd win because you'd have correct information about you. And maybe you would exclude the information you don't want. Perhaps that's what they're worried about. They don't want you excluding your secret other life because they want to suggest, you know, they want to suggest your dominatrix and your psychiatrist. <laughs> right. And you're, right. And you're suggesting they want you to be friends with all your uh, psychiatric patients. 
my gut instinct is that there will be some sort of compromise down the line where Facebook's going to have to offer up some sort of way to curate or to turn off certain levels of tracking or certain levels of invasive tools. But here's another thing that I want to talk about with this whole algorithm concept. And this is something, Carl, I know you have some thoughts on. How much can they really do about these machine learning algorithms at this point? These things have gotten so big and they've been fed so much data. And yes, there are absolutely human beings sitting there making changes to code, updating various parameters. This is something that we've talked about with regards to YouTube and Google, and there are definitely other algorithms out there. They've become so big and complex that can even the creators, do the creators even still work at Facebook? Does anyone really understand what's going on under the hood? And if so, do they have the tools to actually make the changes necessary to these things without completely scrapping it? Because completely scrapping it, I think from a business perspective is out of the question for Facebook because they can't just turn off the people you may know thing and turn on a new one that's going to start from square one. So is it so full of data? Is it so complex that it's beyond making small tweaks and fixes to? I would imagine that they have some well-documented code over there. I don't think it's something someone wrote and it's in a black box and no other employee knows how it works. I don't think Facebook is in the business of employing you know, dark magicians to, to write these algorithms that no one else can you know, uncouple it. I, I think it's it's not necessarily something that can't be fixed or altered in the future. As a developer, I, I can't imagine that someone's getting paid Facebook salaries to write unmaintainable code or you know some sort of machine learning that can't be tamed down the line. It's all modeling. You know, you're, you're going to run these these models. You're going to figure out what does the machine know, what can the machine learn, and what can it tell us. And you're going to do that you know iteratively, hundreds if not thousands of times over the lifetime of that data. You're not going to have just one glowing mass of knowledge that can never be troubled. I think that that might, again, be a bit of paranoia, a bit of a bit of fear of what does the machine know? And it, can it be controlled? I mean, I'm glad to hear that. I, I was It was an honest question, not at all a loaded question, because I think with the lack of transparency from these companies, it's really difficult to have a full understanding of what's going on there. Because you and I work in advertising. We've worked with Facebook's platform. You are intimately familiar with Facebook's ad APIs, and sometimes they break and there's no explanation. And it just stops working. To yeah. be fair, that's every API. So I yeah. have a paranoid <laughs> question for you here. This is my like um, deus ex machina kind of fear. So let's say, okay, they build a algorithm, you know, a set of algorithms, they make sense. They're fairly simple or, or maybe quite complex, but well-documented. And then you throw, you know, so much data at it and it starts to behave in unpredictable ways. Or at least that that's my fear. Like, do you think that that's possible? Or am I just sort of off the deep end in science fiction land here? It's entirely possible. There was a project I was working on previously where, you know, we fed it some information and it started telling us something else entirely. And after some some investigation, it was, oh, it had learned. It had learned that, you know, what are the names of these streets? Suddenly it could tell us what's a park and and what's a river. So it's it's possible that they could feed it they could feed the machine a data set hoping for one result, and then it could start to infer things or maybe piece together something that they hadn't expected. The question is, what is the value to the developers and to the business? If they learn something they didn't mean to learn, they then have to redo the original experiment or the process to try and figure out what they were trying to figure out initially. 
And then they have a whole bunch of compliance issues. And now they say, oh, this is what we know. Are we supposed to know it? Can we know it? Who do we need to tell about it? Do we destroy this? That's a, so, I mean, it's possible that it couldn't infer something, that it could learn something it wasn't meant to learn. But again, I would say if you're that paranoid about it, you should probably just just get off Facebook. <laughs> well, and what, what my, <laughs> my addition to that thought is that if you have good data scientists on staff, which I think these companies are starting to understand that they need ethicists, they need data scientists, they don't just need a bunch of developers, they need people with the ability to parse the data that's coming out of these tests and these experiments and say, is this valid? Is this statistically significant? I think Facebook, Google are swooping up a lot of academics and scientists. I know personally, I attended a Google event four or five months ago where they, their head of behavioral science gave a talk about how Google is using behavioral economics and behavioral science to improve its customer and user experiences. And I think things like that are important because someone from an academic background is going to look at data and have the response that you or I, AK, might have, which is, should we, and Carl, to you said the same thing, should we have this data? Should we be using this data? Should we just delete this data because this is either irrelevant or this is heading down a bad path? So I think, yeah, having good data scientists good technology people who understand what they're working with and understand how the system works. And then also, I think there does need to be some sort of reckoning from a regulatory or public policy standpoint to say, hey, Facebook, you guys need to be a lot more conscientious about how important you are in society and act accordingly. Otherwise, the government or someone else is going to come in and ensure that you adhere to socially acceptable policies and practices. Which isn't necessarily easy to figure out what those should be. I think these are not easy problems. I actually think as a first step, Facebook should just have staff ethicists. In short, though, I think that Facebook should engage with ethicists and social scientists, not just data scientists. I agree. And I think that's something that they are starting to understand. I mean, whether you believe that Zuckerberg's recent statements about Facebook's role as an important part of society, and is it one thing that I think Facebook has to understand is that they are no longer just a website that you visit to share things with people who you know. They are now shaping people's lives. They're shaping people's opinion of things. And they are they have done their own experiments that prove that they shape people's feelings and they can change the way that people feel about things and do things with very little effort because Facebook is this ubiquitous common thing. It's gotten to a point where now Facebook is engaged in these initiatives in Africa where they are literally providing internet. Now people in third world countries are getting their internet through Facebook. Facebook is creating the fiber connections and the satellite connections to get people the internet back what AOL was in early America that is Facebook now so Facebook has this greater societal responsibility and I think after the election and now with more and more journalists like Miss Hill bringing these things to light I think they're finally starting to understand at a senior level at a really senior level whether that's Zuckerberg or Sandberg that hey we actually have to do something about this because this is no longer a fun site where you can connect with your friends. This is the way that people experience life. And this is a big chunk of their daily existence. You know, one in every five minutes, I'll say it again. I've said this before, one in every five minutes spent on the internet is on Facebook. Holy crap. That's a 
That's a big responsibility. Yeah, it is. But again, I and this is surprising me as a Canadian and and you as an American. I don't see why you believe a private company has this sort of why is it their problem? You know, capitalism is a thing. They built this service that no one pays for. It's a free service that they're they're paying tons of money to maintain. And it's they have this market share, which won't last forever. But why is it their problem? They have a business to run. Why are they responsible more so? I could see if the government somehow was like invested in Facebook and now now they have like a like a public service sort of responsibility. But this is a private company. Ethically, I think education is a general thing. People need to educate their chi- their kids or educate each other about how to use the internet and how to be sensible about the choices you make online. I think that's a bigger issue than saying it's on it's on every website to be responsible for the users and how they choose to use that website. The way that people interact with Facebook now, which is by design, like their system has such an effect on the way that people feel and think about things that they do have an ethical responsibility just as fellow human beings to make sure that that their platform is being used responsibly by advertisers and other people putting out content on that platform, and that they are aware of the effects that their platform can have and putting in the proper systems to moderate that and, and mediate that so that it doesn't get out of hand because we've seen it get out of hand. It happens all the time. So I would argue they do have a business. Uh, they have a business responsibility to do this. And it is because there is precedent for when a company becomes a monopoly in a particular area, the government regulates them. It breaks them down or it regulates them really hard. And it is in Facebook's interest as a business to self-regulate lest they get either broken up or regulated into non-existence. I think the people who run Facebook think that that's impossible. I think they're wrong. I think that uh, if they really get a lot of hostility from people, they could get regulated to the point where their business is no longer viable. So they need to have their own ethical standards as a company to protect themselves in the future. So if they're thinking more than the next quarterly earnings report, they should invest in ethics for business reasons alone. If everybody's cool with that, we'll, we'll end it there. Thank you so much, AK, Carl. As always, a spirited discussion. I think we can all agree that all of our friends who have updated their contact lists on Facebook are a bunch of idiots, are no longer deserving of our companionship. So on that note, thank you guys so much. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Please don't die. Cheers, everybody. Bye.